questions over Paul Lintz's position as Reading manager continue to ramp up to, perhaps for the first time, a serious degree after a 1-0 defeat to Sunderland, which dropped the Royals down to 18th place in the championship table. Welcome to Tyler Sen, episode 327, the podcast by Reading fans, for Reading fans. I'm your host, Mark Mayer, and joining me this week, once again, is Ben Thomas, the view from the Dolan. How's it going, mate? Um, apart from the fact I've got no heart because 11 men in blue and white have stolen it, uh, I'm doing all right, actually. Yeah, I'm not too bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens this week, really. But it's it's just a slog, isn't it, at the moment? So, uh, yeah, we'll get into that in just a moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, a bit of, so hopefully something to keep people listening on during the rest of the episode. We uh, talked to Matt Williamson, who's the editor and, I guess, founder of the other face of football, the new Reading fanzine. If you've not heard of that or if you want to find out more about it, listen on a bit later on for a bit of pub chat. And uh, yeah, we'll have the recap of the Sunderland game. I don't want to spend loads of time kind of going over the detail of the Sunderland performance. More kind of chat about Paul Ince we'll be having uh, later on with the mailbag as well. And Rotherham on Tuesday night, a preview for a game that I think a few months ago, we or maybe even you know a few weeks ago, we kind of saw that as a a nice cushy carrying on our nice home form and everything will be kind of rosy game. But actually, it's turned into a bit of a must-win six-pointer sort of deal. So a bit more nervy than we'd have liked. But yeah, still plenty to talk about on the Tartless M podcast this week. As always, big thank you to our sponsors, ZCZ Films, and our Patreon subscribers. So let's talk about the recap. Sunderland 1, Reading 0. Come rain or shine, it's time to relive the latest match action with the recap. This podcast is sponsored by ZCZ Films, Reading's oldest ultras. Right then, Ben, let's get stuck into it. And was my main question for this uh, this game, was this a narrow, unlucky defeat on the road? 800 fans, I would have to say, went to Sunderland. A really good turnout for Reading going as far northeast as I think we'll go uh, this season. It is more northeast than Middlesbrough, so probably our longest trip. And... Um, yeah, was it a narrow, unlucky defeat because of an individual error? Baba Rahman just didn't really clear the ball or at all clear the ball in the last five minutes to allow Patrick Roberts to score? Or was this actually a bad display that finally cracked late on after lots of pressure? Uh, honestly, I think it depends who you ask. Um, from from my point of view, we deserve to lose. Uh, I, I think first half, you know, we were in the game because we were frustrating them and we were making life kind of tricky for them but not because we were doing anything proactive particularly or taking the game to them it was more you know them kind of squandering chances you know we had a few very very you know to, to put it politely mild um half chances that we that we we probably could have done a little bit better with in terms of testing their keeper but overall the, the balance of the game you would say that that Realistically, Sunderland were, were worthy winners. Um, you know, you look at the stats, possession, it was 34%. We had one shot on target and we managed to complete 263 passes compared to their 500 plus. So on the face of it, both performance-wise and, you know, stats-wise, for me, we, we didn't deserve anything out of the game, which, you know, we'll, we'll talk about later on, builds to a part of a bigger picture. But it, it just... Um, it, it really wasn't great. And I, I know Sunderland are, are in good form and they've been very, very good, you know, certainly since they changed manager, ironically. Um, but we need to go into these games and, and be a lot more uh, positive, a lot more confident in what we've got, you know, attack-wise attack, attack wise and, and go from there. But yeah, for sure, yesterday was 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 not a good result, not a good performance and, and we deserve to lose the game, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that this is, you You look at the stats and I'm not one to say, oh, we had, you know, X amount of passes, therefore we must be bad because you can play really good football off of, you know, not many passes, even not many shots, but 61% of your passes being accurate and one shot on target over 90 minutes. And, you know, we go to Man United and I think we probably parked the bus even less or had, you know, more of a, more fluency up front against Man United, but going to Sunderland, 
I'm not going to go as far as saying, oh, teams like Sunderland, we need to be. I think that's a really corny, desperate phrase in footballing lexicon. But I do think that as championship teams, you got you do need to have more of a go. You need to give those 800 fans who went up more of something to you know believe in and, and enjoy, really. And Sunderland aren't, uh, you know, they're not Burnley or, or Sheffield United flying at the top of the league. They're doing well, but they're not, you know, they're not unbeatable fundamentally. And I think that's the disappointment and that's the the what ties in with what is now four wins in our last 19 championship games since October the 4th only Wigan have scored fewer points um there has never been even when Paul Lynch was doing well at the start of the season and I think it was probably people more enjoying the ride rather than thinking that Paul Lynch was a you know suddenly a brilliant manager or anything but the cracks are just widening now, aren't they? And there's not a sense that there's not a sense, in my opinion, that we're about to immediately turn this round and everything will be fine. I think there's obviously a chance of that, but it's not my prevailing wind that, you know, we have a couple of big games this week against teams that aren't quite as good. Maybe we will win them both or something, but it just feels to me like we're not we haven't got much momentum behind us um to turn it round, even when the results aren't there. No, I mean, you know, the stats are what they are, four wins in, in 19 games. You do that at the start of the season, you know, you don't get to 20 games. It's very, very simple. Um, and, and the way the championship is, you, you've probably gone, up, you know, if, if you carry on that form, you've probably gone around your, your sort of 12th or 13th game. So the, the the period of time that we've had where we picked up those four wins has has been pretty dark, really. And, you know, you, you kind of mentioned briefly that the United game, that was a classic example of where we're at as a team. You know, I know we're playing Man United, but just just go and be positive. Just just take them on. Be on the front foot. Make them feel like they've been in the game. And, you know, you go back to yesterday and you think, well, what, what's he afraid of? Because we've lost, what, 4-0 three times this season? I know everyone doesn't really matter at this stage. So you might as well at least have a good go. It, it just, all of it was just a, a mess yesterday. You know, we've got Cassidy and the team who, by all accounts, if you if you believe people is the next generation of Italian football all on his own, and he gets dropped for a central defender in midfield. It, it's just insane. Um, you know, he's got Carroll, the, the big man up top, who spends more time tracking back and trying to do stuff in midfield than he does actually in the box. So when the crosses come in, there's nothing available for him to attack. It it's just it's crazy. And and how how he thought you know, that he looked at the Watford game last week and thought, I'll oh, I'll put Aziz on the bench again. It's just it's just beyond me. It really is. And and these are the problems that, that are really starting to, as you said, you know, mount for him. Because he's making these bizarre decisions. He's making statements like he did yesterday where he said, I thought we were positive in the first half because we frustrated them. That's not positive. Positive is is having a few shots on target, is testing the keeper, is making the defence feel like they've actually had something to deal with in the game. It's not it's not okay to say to, you know, those those heroes, eight hundred fans going up there yesterday, absolute heroes doing it. Because I you know, I didn't. Um and a lot of other people don't bother going away anymore and, and a lot of people don't even go home because of the of the standard of football we've got. But to say he thought that that was okay in the first half, just it, it is really, really concerning. And I think this is, you know, I'm not going to speak for everyone here, but certainly from my point of view, that's, this is where it becomes frustrating because you're wondering what kind of game that he's seeing and what messages he's getting across to those players. You know, we've got, we've got players on the bench and within the squad that he's underused, you know, talk about Nesta Guinness-Walker, Talk about Aziz, I know he's just come back from injury, but for me, he should have started yesterday. I'm not going to, you know, sit here and say that we would have won if he started because that's nonsense. But at least give him an opportunity to build on what he started when he came on against Watford the previous week. Mate, completely underused. I know Jao's got, a, you know, an injury issue at the moment, but again, he's been underused in the time that that Ince has been there. So there, there are a lot of problems mounting for him, really, and you have to kind of look at it as as a bigger picture and say if we don't get you know, five, six points out of the next two games, it's really going to be quite intense, the kind of the clamour for him to lose his job. Um, This is is the thing, right? So is there a scenario now 
where, I mean, yeah, the clamour and everything, we all know that if we get beat by Rotherham, there'll be booze and, you know, we all know what social media will look like, but that's not really the thing that matters when it comes to actually a manager losing his job. Do you think there's a scenario where the club in the next two, three weeks will actually pull the trigger and say, thanks, but let's move on? Well, if we lose the next two games or we don't win them, that's still four, that would be four in 21 games. That's horrendous. You know, Paunovic lost his job for a, a slightly better run of form than that. I know there were obviously, you know, extenuating circumstances around him and the kind of issues off the pitch and, you know, fan sentiment. But, you know, the, the club have made great strides over the last 12 months because it, 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 I think it's, it was it a year since the Coventry sort of protest and, and all the stuff that went on. Yeah, I think yeah. it pretty much is, isn't it? So, you know, the club off the pitch, in my opinion, have made great strides. You know, we've we've brought in people behind the scenes um, that long term, I think, will do well for Redden Football Club. The club have really tried hard to kind of connect back with the community. I'm not saying they've, they've completed it because they haven't. There's so many things that they could continue to do. But my perception is that they're open to stuff now. They want to they want to change things. They want to move things forward. But on the pitch there has been very little movement in terms of where we were, you know, 12 months ago to now. Slightly different set of players. The only thing you could argue and and probably strongly argue is that there's more resilience, there's better characters. That only gets you so far. And I think last season, certainly from my point of view, my, my angle was directed not just at the management team, not just at the club, but also the players on the pitch. I feel that there will be a number of different managers that could and and probably would get a lot more out of the team that we've got. You know, you you look at you look at the team that started yesterday. It's quite old. <clears throat> there are there are really serious question marks over starting Sar in that that centre back position. He's been dreadful this season. Uh, you know, obviously the, the the most bizarre one really is is Tom McIntyre coming to midfield, and the width that we don't have is is absolutely frightening. And he can sit there and say, "Well, it's embargoes, it's this, it's that." We're not the only team that hasn't spent any money. And you don't see their managers constantly whinging about the players they don't have. It's it's just really, really bizarre that he constantly wants to talk about all the things he doesn't have and all the things he can't do rather than the things that he probably could do if he had a little bit more of a game plan beyond the 3-5-2 or the 5-3-2 that we constantly keep playing, which just isn't working at the moment. So to answer your question, you know, if we lose the next two games, I think they're going to have to do something because we're only going one way. Um I think, you know, we, we get some points out of it or we win both the games. Things look a little bit better. But, you know, fundamentally, this thing's not right on the playing side of the pitch. And and ultimately, at the moment, that does come down to, to what Ince is doing or rather not doing for me. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, to answer my own question, I think there is definitely a scenario. If we lose the next two games, I think Ince will go. I think that this club... You look at Dai, the way Dai Yong has managed his managers over the years. And I think the the only other two factors that will come into making that decision will be Mark Bowen. And I don't think he'll be necessarily too tied to Ince. I think he'd rather, you know, obviously, de- depending on who he thinks he can get in, I think he would rather pull the trigger than um, than kind of stick blithely by Ince. And the only other issue with that is uh, some sort of settlement in terms of paying him off. Now, none of us know the details on that. We don't know. I think there has been talk that he's on a three-year contract. Obviously, two and a bit years left of that could be quite expensive. But then is he going to be on a big wage? He doesn't need the money to be managing Reading, so you'd think. Um, I don't know how that's going to impact it, basically. But those are the only, you know, those are the three three aspects of it for me. Outside of results is whether Bowen and Young want to make the the move and whether we can afford it, basically. So you know, I, I think that it, it just comes down to the next two games. It comes down to if Redding put in good performances, take four points out of the next two games or six, then he's fine. But um, if he doesn't, then I, I seriously start to to worry about it. And it's not, I mean, well, there have been a couple of questions on this, so we'll, we'll talk a bit more about Ince in the mailbag. Let's get into that now. Um, hear from Paul Ince, what he said after the game, and then, yeah, let's get into the mailbag. Listen, I just, I, you got to be positive than the way we performed. Um, obviously, we're all disappointed the way we conceded the goal. Um, obviously, Babba's absolutely devastated. But I just said to Babba, listen, you know, whoever makes the team mistake, there's no individuals, there's no this, there's no that. We all make mistakes together. We win, lose, draw together. Um, <clears throat> you know, so um, it, 
we should get over it, need to move forward. As I said, the game plan worked to treat. We nullified them really. As I said, some very good technicians. Um, and we had some very good moments in the first half where we could have been a bit more precise. You know, something could just fall for us. We could become away with something. For all the latest Reading news, analysis and opinion, visit the website at thetilehurstend.com. Let's carry on with the Insta discussion a little bit because we've got a few questions from Twitter. We always put out a call for the questions uh, for the mailbag. Thanks to everyone who gets in touch, gives us something to talk about, things we may maybe haven't thought of ourselves. Uh, Pedro first up saying the club is a long-term project with an imminent squad overhaul due to the many contracts set to expire. If Reading stay up, exit the embargo and have a fresh FFP cycle, it's an exciting role for any championship manager. Who next? Um, are we an exciting project? And Chris also saying with the summer embargo being lifted, it would be professional suicide to allow Ince to be involved in that. Does Bowen already have itchy feet about making a change? And I suppose that the question about what you do after ints. I mean, there's not not loads of point naming names and everything because let's face it, how many people named Jose Gomez, Mark Bowen, Paul Ince, Velko Paunovic? I mean, none of no one even if you did, then lottery numbers, please, because quite frankly, nobody has known what's gonna happen with our managerial appointments. And I guess the the thing the, the broader topic then for me, Ben, is are we an exciting project? Will will a manager want to take over in February or will managers be available in February to take over and start a long-term project when it's not the summer? When I guess the kind of idea is that the, you know, the summer's the nicer time to do it because you can start afresh and not have to worry about it. Generally speaking, in my view of football, I don't think that matters because when you know, look around at the, the managers who have taken over in the last 12 months at various clubs in the country. Eddie Howe started mid-season and that was a long-term project and it's gone really well. Um, you look at people like Nathan Jones, obviously went to Southampton, absolutely miserable sort of time. Um, I think Alex Neal left Sunderland as well for Stoke. And obviously these don't always go well, but that's not down to my point. My point is that managers will come if there's a league one manager that we we quite fancy having who's doing okay maybe if it's you know top of the table someone like Darren Moore they wouldn't want to come but generally speaking if you've got a good project and you can show to a manager that you know you've got four or five moments to have a look at who you want keep us up any manager should be able to keep us up really if we're going to get rid of Vince we, we that should be an absolute minimum requirement from nine points clear with relegations earning the championship so after that I think it's a pretty, we've got a pretty good chance of persuading someone to come. And yeah, I, I don't think it's a, that, that's, but for me, that's not an issue of doing it now or the summer. I think you can do that now and still make that, make that change. Well, the key to all that really for me is, is staying in the championship. So, you know, if we, if we go back to the earlier point about losing the next two, it doesn't matter who comes in because the remit's going to be, don't get us relegated. So whether or not that's Mark Bowen who does it for the for the last two months of the season or whatever, which I you know people that have, have read stuff that I've put out, people that have listened to me on this podcast and, and generally know me, I'm I'm a huge fan of Mark Bowen. I honestly I, I really am. I've been met him a few times, but but also <clears throat> the way that he talks, the decisions that he's made since he came back, and also previously the decisions that he was making with arguably a, a worse team than we've got now. Um, you know, I, I would I would trust him to to be able to keep us up personally. I know other Reading fans wouldn't, and that's absolutely fine. But yeah, Mark, Mark Bowen coming back as manager is a is an opinion. I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah, it was, but it's but it's it's a possibility, and it wouldn't cost too much money, if anything, because you just stand the same wage. R- regardless of that, though, I mean, I I agree with with what Pedro and Chris have have said, um, because it is it's. There are there are lots of positives to this football club, and we're in a better shape, you know, as I said, off the pitch, probably structurally than we were twelve months ago, and, and continue to be, and we'll we'll build on that. You know, we've we've brought some good people in behind the scenes that are, you know, in in a in a kind of a state of flux. Really, I I just I just worry that the club are like, no, we're just going to keep in regardless of what happens, whether we whether we stay up or go down or or, or whatever, and that that's really concerning. I just don't see that happening. I I, I don't see Ince, regardless of of how results go. I just don't see him being in the dugout come August the fifth or sixth or whatever the whenever the season starts next. So 
in in terms of names, I think the the ideal scenario is that we get to the end of the season, we stay up, and then we we bring someone in the summer, and, and they have like a you know an opportunity to be able to build the squad in in the image that they want. You know, we we know there's going to be a lot of players leaving, we know there's going to be a lot of players out of contract, and and it is as as Pedro said, it's it's an exciting possibility for for anyone. There are a lot of candidates out there that are out of work, that are in work, that would be good for our club. But ultimately, you know, you, you just don't know how it's going to turn out. But the way that, that the managerial appointments have gone, and as you said, no one expected Eddie Howe to do the, the job that he's done. No one expected, or, or well, actually, that's not a good example. We're going to use Nathan Jones. But there's a, there's a lot of people really that that probably haven't kicked on in the way they wanted to. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm just worried that if if we do make a change, that we get some left field appointment like Jose Gomez, like Paunovic was, like Ince was. You know, we, we need someone who's been around the block a little bit and and really understands these leagues properly to kind of build on something. And f- for me, <clears throat> if I was forced to name a name, it would be Darren Moore. You know, I said this sort of two years ago before he joined uh, Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday I can't remember where he was at was he at Doncaster potentially yeah. he's always someone that I've looked at and thought he, he, he's good he'll be, he'll be fantastic but really it, it, it needs a clean sweep you know we, we, we've kind of progressively done that with staff bringing a structure back into place now it needs to be a proper root and branch stuff with the playing staff get someone else in who's going to be able to, to, to actually implement a system and a style of play you know, we're not expecting prime Barca, but I think, you know, over the last five, six seasons, we've just lurched from one thing to another, whether that be Paul Clement, whether that be uh, Yapstam, whether that be Jose Gomez, whether that be Paul Lentz, Panovic, whatever. There's no consistent style or thread that we've seen over the past five, six, seven seasons. And it, it, it that kind of needs to change for, for long-term benefits, really. So ultimately, I think the future looked positive for, for the club. <clears throat> but the short-term concerns still remain in the fact that we are, you know, we're, we're really on a sliding scale in terms of form at the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I personally do think you can start the long-term project in February if we did end up going down that route. But, um, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 all kind of waiting on what happens with Paul Ince and everything. My only, my, my only point I will add before we move on is that you've just named Clement, Stam, etc., and the carousel and, you know, the going round of managers... The problem is, is that all of those managers aren't very good managers. So if we if we hire a good manager, they'll stick, they'll get good results and stick around for longer. But we keep hiring not very good managers who don't have good results, and therefore they don't tend to stick around very long. That's pretty basic stuff, but it's still, in my opinion, true. And if Reading can sign a good manager, then we'll be fine. Um, so yeah, maybe Mark Bones listening to this. I suppose the. Bowen's Bowen's doing this one in theory. If we get ints or you know post ints, whoever it is, if Bowen's still here, um, Dayong did the last ones, so hopefully Bowen doing it will be a bit different. Um, we'll go to Paul, who just said Aziz and Fozzie Bear said Aziz had a great game last week against Watford, uh, got us a point. So why did he not bring him on uh, earlier on against Sunderland to actually win a match for a change? Uh, Fozzie Bear also saying he doesn't get bringing Scott Dan on Virginia Hoyler uh, about fifteen minutes to go. Coming on and parking the bus yet again. Um, well, Dan coming on basically just moved Yeardham out wide and put an extra centre back on at nil nil with 15 minutes to go in the championship. It's asking for trouble, really, isn't it? It's not not really the reason we lost, but it's also not you know didn't help us win either, did it? Um, I think that the Aziz the problem with the Aziz chat Ben is that about two three weeks ago on this podcast we were talking about Shane Long and Benbenge starting much more. And they started against Sunderland and didn't have particularly good games. They didn't have disastrous games, but, you know, they weren't the saviour. I notice it as well with Tyrese Fauna at the moment, that he's had a couple of good short sub-appearances. And again, I completely agree with the sentiment that, yes, we should start him against Rotherham. He's a player that I would put in. But I don't think... I don't think our problems are skin deep enough so that you start Femi Aziz and that kind of makes everything okay again. No, I mean, ironically, I actually saw Aziz in the um, Oracle this afternoon. I didn't, I didn't send anything to him because I thought it'd be weird, and also I didn't really know what to say. But um, yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd pass that on to anyone that was listening because he was it. Was he signing? Was he was he with Shane Long signing for the club? No, he was on his own. He was wearing sunglasses actually, which was really weird. But you know, whatever. Maybe he just thought he was going to get mobbed by loads of adoring <laughs> fans like me. I don't who, know who want him to start next week. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think 
yeah, I, I take your point and I, I, I kind of, I get it in the fact that Redden fans are absolutely brilliant for always wanting the Messiah to arrive. And the problem is that we don't have any Messiahs. I, I think it's more of a general issue for me in the fact that it seems reluctant to kind of drastically change stuff to uh, influence games before they've started, if that makes any sense at all. Uh, it might sound an obvious thing, but it, I just feel like we just do the same thing with the same players, but slightly different. So, you know, again, going back to it, and it, it, it's just a massive bugbear of mine. But Tom McIntyre in central midfield for a game like that, I just think it's absolutely insane. I really, really do. When you've got Cassidy when you've got a bit of width in the team that you could use, you know, Rahman coming back in, who's been terrible this season, makes no sense whatsoever. So I think really the, the kind of thinking that players that didn't play by them playing would then, you know, enable us to win the game. is probably a little bit simplistic, but my point, and I, and I, I assume other points that, that people have as well, is that actually there needs to be a willingness or a, some sort of design for him to go, do you know what? Aziz had a really good, you know, 20, 25 minutes against Watford the previous game. Let's just chuck him in and see what he does, even if it's just for 60 minutes or whatever. Um, the fact he doesn't do that and the fact that he makes these substitutions so late, you know, I, I saw Dan getting a lot of kind of, scapegoating from from fans yesterday which I kind of agree to a point because he's not the player that we need at this stage but bringing him on as a person or a player didn't lose us the game what lost us the game was that by him bringing on uh, Dan in terms of his positioning and taking off someone like Hoylett who is you know arguably and factually more attack minded than Scott Dan is left us under pressure a lot more. And in, in the end, we crumbled. You know, the, the goal was dreadful yesterday. Who's ever thought it was? It was absolutely appalling because there was about three players that could have dealt with it and they didn't. But it's that constant, we're just going to put ourselves under pressure. It's all self-inflicted stuff is is the kind of thing that really gets me. And by playing, you know, Aziz from the start, by playing Tyrese Fauna from the start, who, who must have the patience of a saint, by the way. You know, he's been binned off by... Uh, for Cassidy the previous week he's now been sort of swapped out for Tom McIntyre as that position he must be wondering what he can do to actually try and try and start a game for once bless him um, but you know having these players sort of on the bench or or out of the squad just shows there's kind of a lack of of, of willingness or a lack of understanding to be able to, to influence the game before it started so I, I get what people are saying I just don't think any of these players are, are, are the answer really um, you know, we, we've got no, apart from Tom Ince, star players, we've got no one who you think, God, I really, really need them in the team to, to be able to make myself feel comfortable. Um, so, yeah, it, it's difficult. But I think, you know, as he's probably stitched himself up a little bit by having as as good an impact as he did the previous game. And, and I think that's where the frustration comes from from this particular decision. Yeah, final question this week. Max Ashley saying, why does Paul Ince insist on us playing five at the back when we look shocking defensively? And then in the press conferences, he said he'd love to play four at the back. We look unbalanced in so many areas, lack creativity and options going forward, only scoring more than two goals on two occasions. And last week, we had a big old chat about the tactics and everything. And I won't go quite as deep into this, but... I would, I can only say that I, I still hold the opinion that we should move to four at the back because once again on the weekend, I mean, Carol and Long up front, I know we have a lot of strikers, Mate, Zhao wasn't available, but you, even though you have four good strikers, doesn't mean you have to use them in constantly rotating pairings. I don't think we played the same pairing, you know, more than two weeks in a row at any point this season. And Rahman's washed as a left back. Hoylet as a right wing back is just not a permanent solution. We've we've given that far too many legs. And then you look at, you know, what's stopping us from playing Yeardon if Holmes is back alongside Mbenge and then Nesta Guinness Walker with a midfield three of Ince, Hendrick and Fauna or Cassidy, even put Lumen if you really want to be, you know, tight at the back and, and, and shore things up. And then you can play Carroll. Long can probably play up front on his own if you have narrower forwards alongside him, like Aziz, it's Mate. Mate can play up front on his own just about, or you'd have him wide in that scenario. There were just so many 
you know, we we've watched this team obviously longer than Paul Ince has. Let's you know that's a fact. He obviously wasn't watching Reading for the last decade or whatever. And we've seen players like Mate and and we know what they can do. And they're not, as we say with disease, they're not the Messiah. They're not going to completely revolutionise the club. But when you're in this sort of run of form and you are struggling at both ends of the pitch, why don't you just give it a go? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's why that's why I'm getting <laughs> so annoyed with that. And, and the more I talk about it, the more annoyed I get because actually I've just made a note now. And, and to my knowledge, the only players that he couldn't use yesterday were Jow, Holmes, Loom, obviously Hutchison, but I don't think we'll see him again, to be honest. So those three are kind of the ones that have been in and around the team, give or take, for most of the season, right? But he still had Mate Aziz, Cassidy, jury's out on him, obviously, because he was absolutely shocking against Watford, but not necessarily his fault. Fauna, Nesta Guinness Walker, who you could play to give us a little bit more attacking sense, a little bit more width. That's, that's what could have happened. So those kind of four or five players on the bench potentially would have made more of a difference in the game than the players that started. Now, again, I don't want to fall down the rabbit hole of, oh, yeah, we would have won, we would have done this. But you you know full well that we would have had more attacking sense, probably had more shots on target, and as a result, probably would have scored a goal out of it. The, The players that played, you know, they could probably still be playing now and they'd still get one shot on target because it's just nonsense. It really is. So the short answer is I, I don't know, and I and I, I'd love I'd love someone to give us the answer for that because it's it is just madness and it's it's doing the same thing over and over again but expecting a different result and it's it's just crazy to me it really is. Yeah, well, let's talk about something different. Let's have some pub chat. Let's talk about the other face of football, which is the new Reading fanzine that uh, Matt Williamson has launched. He came onto the show. Uh, a couple of days before we were recording this, so uh, I spoke to him about what to expect from the fanzine, where you can get hold of it, and uh, hopefully get hold of it on Tuesday night. You're listening to the Tarhurst End podcast by Reading fans for Reading fans. Welcome back to the Tarhurst End podcast, and we have pub chat back this week. The section of the show where we like to shine a light on something that's a little bit away from the Tarhurst End, a little bit away from Reading fans that you might uh, be aware of. Usually, and certainly, we've got a good one this week with Matthew Williamson joining us. You've been on the Tarhurst End writing and all sorts, Matt, and it's not the first time that we've spoken. So it's great to have you back and uh, talk about the fanzine, which is uh, great to be back in the Reading world this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, firstly, good to be back. Um, it's been a while, but uh, hello, everyone. Uh, the fanzine just sort of came out of the fact that obviously we, the program stopped during COVID. Um, the club didn't bring it back um, due to financial issues, and uh, they thought that they didn't really sell enough to make it viable. Which, you know, given at the minute the club needs to save almost every penny, is probably fair enough. Um, but there was obviously a space there last season for something to step into. And I was kind of waiting for someone else to do it. Um, and this summer I decided that if no one else was going to do it, I may as well do it. Um, so yeah, we've, we've uh, had a few issues already and and they've sold pretty well. And um, the next issue uh, is coming out hopefully on Tuesday at the Rotherham game, as long as it's not tipping it down with rain. Uh, Cause you know, nobody likes standing out in the rain. No, nobody's going to buy a fanzine, you know, on their, rush up to the ground in those circumstances are they we need to get you one of the uh the little stands with the umbrellas on it and you know the old timey kind of regional regional newspaper boards don't we yeah exactly i'll take you know surely they have some of those little program booths going going spare now so i will take one of them if anyone at the club is listening absolutely so uh so what can fans expect then from a fanzine what's how, how long is it how what sort of uh articles and stuff have you got in it particularly this week well so yeah it's um it is mainly articles so it's not really a, pro- a match by match program it, it comes out every couple of months and it's various reading fans writing about um you know what they love about the club or we haven't really had too many uh people writing about things that they want to see improved yet but um i'm sure that there will be some in there as well um so uh this issue we've got um a guy called john charles uh has been following ready reading for many a year he's written about all the ups and downs of following reading um we've got um callum uh, egan writing about uh paul ince and like the the expectations that need to change or or changing expectations given on where we are now versus where we were in the summer 
Um, there's some writing about the the women's team in there. Um, I wrote about um, sort of Reading players around the globe as well, like former Reading players, obviously. Um, so that's the kind of thing that's normally in there. Um, Simeon pickup of the Tilehurst End fame. He wrote about uh, loans in the last issue and and how he wants to see uh, our loan pathways developed. And you know maybe he'll be back because obviously we've just sent a whole load of kids out on loan uh, in the last week or two. So those are kind of things in there. Um, yeah, I I try and stress to almost everyone that buys it, it is not a match program. Um, I do not have the time or, you know, uh, money to to make a match programme. but it, there, there are no has... word searches or crosswords or anything like that? <laughs> not yet, not yet. I, <laughs> hopefully next season. Um, this season was very much like, let's try and make sure that it's viable and that people want it. And that seems to have been, you know, people have bought them. So that, that's good. And next season, you know, hopefully it'll get a bit of a revamp and and look a bit nicer than it does at the minute. But yeah, it's about 20, uh, it's normally 24, 28 pages. Um, so it's not it's not massive, but it costs you a couple of quid, which is the uh normally the change on the way up from the car park as well. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully there's enough in there to get stuck into and and it does have pretty good feedback. Everyone that I've talked to um has actually enjoyed reading it. So that's nice. Yeah, for sure. I think um, as someone, obviously, for the podcast and stuff like that, it's the uh, it's always the the great moment when someone just stops you and says, "Oh, thanks for doing that." Whatever. Not that actually anyone ever stops me, but and says thanks for doing it. But occasionally, people will say nice things, and that's always great, isn't it? Um, in terms of, I mean, thinking about Reading fanzine past and stuff, I remember the whiff and all this sort of stuff. It's a and just wider um, in football terms. You know, the fanzine has the has a kind of cult status among fans, doesn't it? Do you remember like how you first came to kind of the Reading fanzine picture? Yeah. So like, yeah, obviously I remember the whiff as well. And um, I, again, specifically remember someone trying to sell the whiff in horrible conditions. And I thought, ah, that's not really for me. Um, and you know, that to be fair, the whiff was when I was sort of first starting out on my Reading journey, because um, obviously it hasn't been around for a while now. And a, a lot of the kids that, you know, walk past me when I'm trying to sell the fanzine, they haven't even got a clue what it is. Like they don't even understand the concept of a fanzine anymore. So fingers crossed, we'll be able to get get it back into the uh, into the lexicon uh, of, of the youth. But I, I, I kind of over summer when i was thinking about doing this i was reading a book about um st pauli in in germany and all of the fanzines that they have so like if anyone wants to start a rival fanzine with me i would love that it'll be great the more the merrier i think yeah definitely if um yeah one, one of my mates is actually a st pauli fan and uh yeah that's a, it's a fully vibrant scene i'll definitely say that and um for you then have you found it as the as kind of the founder slash editor i mean i don't know what you've what executive principal job title you've given yourself but with the logistics and everything how is it running a fanzine these days yeah i think i think editor maybe uh, even editor is a bit strong i mean most of the time you know everyone that writes it is is probably better at english or writing or anything than i am so i just put it all together um but yeah no it's been it's been good fun um a bit stressful on occasions obviously um but it's nice just to talk to people about football and yeah people come up and even if they don't necessarily buy a fanzine they will stop and chat about things and that's been one of my favorite bits about doing it um i think i think hopefully it'll keep going for a while so um there'll be plenty plenty more to chat about and uh you know if yeah as as long as it goes well then it's always nice and we did sell out of the first couple of issues uh, the third issue when it was a bit colder and less people were coming that was a bit more problematic so that that one was a bit bit less fun but uh yeah hopefully for this issue um you can either pick it up at Rotherham um this week or you know I'll probably be standing somewhere um at most of the home games going forwards try to sell you one so i'm sure you'll run into me at some point or they're online as well um i can't even remember exactly what the the url is but if you come to my twitter which is um photomatic then you can find a link there i'm sure and uh yeah hope, please buy one because it isn't just my writing everyone else's writing is genuinely fantastic and it is really interesting to read what everyone else is thinking and you know Similar thing to the Tilehurst end, obviously. Um, but I actually, I like the collectability of it. I like the fact that 
at the minute it's not all online uh, like it was a very deliberate decision to try and keep it offline and create a bit more of a community offline around it and i think that that's been that's been pretty successful so far as well yeah definitely so what's how if um if anyone listening to this wants to get involved has an idea for writing as you say is it's got it's got similarities with the tyler stem but i think it's the um it's certainly that kind of hard copy feel about something that is a totally different um sense about it and i think i mean i'd always say that these sorts of things absolutely brilliantly coexist with each other definitely no sense of uh of one or the other when it comes to these sort of fan outlets is it so if people want to get involved have an idea for an article how do they get in touch yeah, I mean, as you say, like I think that the Tarhurst and 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 the other face of football. I'm not even sure I've said the name yet. The other face of football is the name of the fanzine. Um, uh, are, are twins in in many ways, and yeah. So if you want to write for um, the fanzine, then you can just email me at the other face of football at hotmail Pretty straightforward. Or you know, uh, grab me at the game if you do see me and and tell me you want to write, and I'll um yeah, that'll be absolutely fine. Or on twitter on facebook wherever um just just um let me know and i think yeah so the email is the other face of football at hotmail.com and that is probably the best way to get in touch brilliant and final thing then just so everyone's clear whereabouts can they find you at the rotherham game presuming it's not tipping it down <laughs> yes um they will be able to find me uh on the way up from greyhound parking at the top i think it's hoops way at the top of hoops way um i will be stood there on the corner trying to trying to sell you you will hear me and uh if if you don't see me i'm sort of by where all the buses are parked you know around that area on the way up so yes um at some point i'll be over on the costco side as well um but a lot of them they, they don't care mark they're not as interested on the costco side so usually I'll, away I'll fans aren't on. they so yeah which i did not realize um so we don't <laughs> go there as much anymore normally on the way up from greyhound parking beautiful well they'll be able to hear you bellowing like a cockney fruit dealer be loud and be proud and back the boys and make some noise. Come on, you ours! Shout out to this week's podcast sponsor, ZCZ Films, showing that age is no barrier to being a hooli hoop. Welcome back to Big Match Preview, the final part of the show, final part of this week's Tyler Said podcast. And uh, yeah, we've just had pub chat. Before that, we were talking about um, what we would do for the... Uh, you know, the formation sense after a question in mailbag and we got Rotherham 8pm kickoff on Tuesday night, Valentine's Day game. Um, I'll excuse any lovers in the air puns until we find out the result because it might not be. But uh, yeah, two wins in 16 away from home Rotherham this season. Really not very good. Nine goals, the lowest scorers. Um, actually, I think they've still got a better record than us funnily enough away from home. But uh yeah, and I suppose this is this this game for me is the ultimate. You you know we've just we've just been early in the show talking about doing the same thing over and over again. I think that this is a classic game of against a team that, all due respect, are not going to come and turn us over four 0 if we play. You know if we have too much of a go. So why don't you change it for this one? And and do you think Ben? The question is, do you think Paul Ince will change anything significant for this game? Well, <laughs> do I think? Um, I, I I don't know. I, I I honestly don't know what he's thinking anymore. I, I I really don't. If if he was thinking stuff in the first place, and I don't want you know because a lot of us were fully supportive of what he was doing at the start of the season, like it was great. And I I don't want this to be like, oh yeah, well it's it, you know it, we're, we're being really fickle because we're not. You know the results have not been good enough, and 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 this is modern football. We haven't got time to to see if things sort of work out. Will he change it? I mean, I don't. Jow's not going to be available. I doubt Holmes will because he's obviously had some sort of virus thing, uh, to my knowledge. And Looms, I guess, is suspended for the for the next game as well. So he, he's he's left with pretty much what he had on Saturday. Now, whether he wants to try different combinations or whatever, I, I don't know. I kind of wish he would just play four at the back just to get it out of the way, just to just to, you know, so that we've actually seen it. And th- and there's no reason based on a squad that was out on um, Saturday, that he couldn't do that. It might not be the perfect back four, far from it, but he, but he definitely could do that, right? Which would then give us more players further up the pitch to be able to take the game to Rotherham, who, as you say, have been you know, probably worse than we have on, on the road this season. And it, it is a game that ultimately we have to win 
say whether or not that's a scrappy 1-0, whether or not we, you know, blow them away and win sort of 3-4-0, which is incredibly unlikely given our, our scoring record. But we, we have to win that game. Um, you know, we are at that stage of the season now where we have to keep picking up points. Go to Cardiff on Friday, which again is is not an impossible task, but given our away form, you know that it, it, we're going to make it difficult for ourselves. So I would I would like to see him bring some of those players uh, off the bench on Saturday just to show a bit of willingness and go, yeah, do you know what? I've gone away and thought about it and it didn't work for X, Y, Z reasons. I've sort of potentially listened to, you know, God forbid, this podcast or whatever. And I want to bring these players in to try and mix it up a bit just to give them the opportunity to try and stake their claim a little bit. You know, we've got a lot of games coming up in in sort of reasonably quick succession. And we we have to keep everyone sort of in the mix and and that kind of cliche, but kind of happy and and sort of in and around the group, really. But we're only going to do that if we give those players opportunities to be able to express themselves and, and, and affect a game. You know, it's, yeah. it's got very stale very quickly. So I'd, I would love to see some changes is, is the short answer. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't think he will change out of the back five. I think we'll pop, I think we'll see Mate. I think there's a good chance we'll see Guinness Walker, given that he does like to drop players who make an error, although he did, you know, speak about Rahman in, in glowing terms after the Sunderland game, relatively speaking. I think we will see one of Fornor Cassidy uh, in for McIntyre. Um but yeah, I think that's kind of it. I don't think we'll see wholesale changes. Um, let's only final couple of points of the show. We'll do predictions in a second. Let's do the um, favorite part of the show that I know you really enjoy, Ben, is the trivia. Um, I'm going to make this a God, permanent, what, what fixture, this permanent fixture for any time you're on the show. But when was the last time we lost at home to Rotherham? Give me a year. Um, I want to say something like 2003. Well, it's actually better than that from a Reading perspective, far better, and it's 1977. Right, well, yeah, obviously I've completely made myself like a right idiot, not for the first time on the show. But, um, <laughs> okay, 1977? So they're not very good, is kind of what I'm getting at with this stat. That they've beaten us at, you know, old Claymore and stuff a couple of times. But yeah, we, we don't lose at home to Rotherham, generally speaking. So I guess maybe if we do, that's a pretty big sign that it's uh, where it's going. So basically, put your piggy bank on a home win, then, is what you're saying? More or less. Well, speaking of which, let's do the predictions. Um, everyone did kind of all right in predicting that we'd lose to Sunderland. Adam got 1-0. Ollie didn't uh, get it, but the rest of us did. So, Ben, you're leading on 22 points. Adam, 21. Westy, 20. Sim on 17. Handbags, 50. Myself, 13. And Ollie is on 8 points. What are you going to say for this one, then, Ben? 2-1, uh, Redden. It's going to be scrappy. It's going to be tense. But we are we're going to mark Valentine's Day with a lovely win. So two one Redden. Right, I'm going to say one old. Um, we yeah, I, I I don't need to explain that. I think we all know what sort of night that would be. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll we've got Cardiff as well. Um, we will be back after the Cardiff game. That's on Friday night. Um, won't bother, I won't spend too much time previewing it because it's kind of dependent on the Rotherham game and everything. But there is the Tyler Stan blog and the social medias to follow all that goes on in the build-up and the, the match action and the reaction to those games. A big old week of Reading football coming up. Ben, a pleasure to uh, discuss it with you. Thanks, mate. Let's, uh, let's hope for a good week uh, on and off the pitch. And uh, yeah, if you're going to the games, look after yourselves and we'll, we'll see you next week. Absolutely. Wrap up warm. Hopefully we'll have plenty to shout about and uh, yeah, some big, big games. Come on, you ass. <laughs>